So if you guys can turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, uh, we're going to be continuing the second part of the series, Living Like an Exile. We're going to be in the second book of 2 Peter. Uh, we're going to be continuing off where Pastor Craig left off. If you did not get a chance to see or be a part of that service, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was phenomenal, and it was a great setup to the whole book as a whole. Um, I do want to make a connection for you in there, is that Peter is making a case um, that we need to be on two different levels. One, we need to be um, rooting ourselves in the Word, rooting our, ourselves in the promises of God. If you go back and look at the first 12, or sorry, sorry, first 11 verses of that chapter, chapter 1, you can see there's about seven characteristics that almost kind of fall like in a domino effect, right? If you do this one, it leads to this one, it leads to that one. But what's great about it is that that's how you should live your life, and each one is integral in their parts and holding on to each other. So you don't live doing just one thing and get good at it. When you do the one thing, it's going to lead you down the path that God wants you to by living the life that God wants you to have. Now, as we enter into this part of the chapter, Peter's going to take kind of a little bit of a turn and go, we need to live this way because we're anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just plain and it's just bold out there. You have to understand this. Here's the question you ask yourself. What do I want to have Jesus catch me doing when he shows up? It's like a really challenging question. I know it's like a basic question that we always like throw around, but it's kind of interesting, right? Like, what do I want Jesus catching me doing when he shows back up? Of course, he sees everything. I know that's kind of a weird thing because he's omniscient. So it's not like he doesn't know. But the whole point is that we should be rooting ourselves in the righteousness that we are being built for for eternity. I want to let you know why this is so poignant to Peter at this time. Peter is not the same Peter that we saw in the Gospels. I don't know if you remember if we were going through the book of John, if you've gone through the other three Gospels. Peter is very, uh, lives by the seat of his pants, right? You know, he's a guy that's very impulsive. It's like, I feel, I say. This is how this is going to work. And he would say great things to Jesus, and Jesus would be like, that's great. He was like, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you're, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And he's like, that's right. And he goes, and then I'm going to go into the ground. I'm going to have to be killed and put in the ground. And Peter's like, no, 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 we're not going to do any of that. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. All in one conversation. Why? Because Peter's not focused on what God's will is. But what we're seeing in the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter is a man that has spiritually matured to the point that he's going, you know what? It doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't even matter what I feel. It matters what I know. And God is God, and I am not. And I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunity to follow him into his calling because when I have done that, everything has gone wonderfully. And when I have not done that, things have gone awry between me and him. And so that's kind of the call. What we're seeing is now a man who lives by the spirit and not by the flesh. And so the Lord is building something in him. And I'm going to put this up on the screen so you can see what he is building in Peter, but also you. Where you build, you will grow. Where you build, you will grow. So what is the Lord building alongside you in the ministry of you? A better disciple. As you listen to the Lord, as you do what Pastor Craig said in the previous uh, part of the chapter, the seven characteristics, you are becoming a better disciple. How about a mightier servant? so that when you're called upon, you can do the things that the Lord asks you to do. And then finally, a righteous instrument for the Lord. That is the Peter that you see now in this particular chapter. I ask you this question, does this sound like your life? 
It doesn't mean that you have arrived. It doesn't mean that you have done and accomplished all the things and you have a black belt and all of this and now you're that person, your sensei. But the whole point is, is are you growing in these areas towards this? You know, when you give your life to the Lord, the Holy Spirit doesn't just show up and convict you and say, hey, you need a Messiah. The Holy Spirit now comes inside of you and alongside of you to do what? To show you how to live in the calling. You have received the calling. You have responded to the calling. Now, what's going to carry you through that calling? The same power that raised you back from the spiritual dead is the same power that's going to carry you through. And so when we look at that last point up there, it says righteous instrument for the Lord. You have to ask yourself, am I entering into that by participating in what the Holy Spirit has for me daily? Now, I want to just point out in two verses that Pastor Craig hit on last week that lay out that plan. Look at 2 Peter 1. You can probably just go back in your verses, but I'll put it up on the screen. 2 Peter 1, 4, it says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So the moment that you got saved, you entered into that life so that through them that you may participate in the what? The divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What's the title of our sermon series? Living like exiles. What are we escaping? A godless world. That's this point blank. That's what he's putting in there. Look what he's saying. Having escaped the corruption in the, world's ca- in the world caused by evil desires, where are you at? Well, you're walking in the promises of the Lord. That's where I'm at. I don't know where the world's going. I know where I'm going. I have an, I have an exact plan. Skip on down to verse 10 and 11. This is how he concludes it. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Look at verse 11. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's the translation of that? I'm not living like I'm made for this world. I'm living like I'm made for another world. And that's the world where King Jesus rules. And so I'm not waiting for my, it's like some people go, I'm gonna wait till I, you know, when I die, then my my eternity begins. When does eternity begin? Today. Because you should be living that life that you're being prepared for because you are on that way. You're not living for this world. You're living for the next world because this world will pass away. And so what he's saying is there is a foundation that is being set up. I'm, I'm gonna put this on the screen so we can go back to that main uh, title slide. Look at what, what that guy's doing, Second Peter. What's he doing? He's leaving. He's leaving. We are not here forever. Now look at the point that we're making. If we are led by the Spirit in our divine calling and we're upheld by God's promises, we will realize we are not made for this world but destined for his eternal kingdom. That's what I'm doing when I obey the Lord. When I hear the calling of the Lord, I'm obeying. It might not always be comfortable. It might not always be convenient, but what I am doing is I am building the foundation of faith which looks like this. Not my ways, Lord, your ways. Because my ways led to hell. Your ways lead to an eternal kingdom with you forever. So apparently you have the better plan, so that's what I'm gonna follow. That's what I'm gonna do. And so the foundation of your faith looks like this. What is God building in my life today? Not what am I building, what is God building in my life? And that's what we're stepping into. Like I said, Pastor Craig did that awesome setup of the seven characteristics. Now we're gonna uh, step into what happens with that life what kind of expectation we should have after that. Look at verse 12. 
So, this is uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you, ha- you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord uh, Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be, or sorry, you will always be able to remember these things. Now, there's a couple of things I just want to point out there. Notice how many times he reminded us. Let's go back to it. So I'll always remind you. Why? So I think it's right to refresh your memory. Look how he ends it. So you will always be able to remember these things. What is the thing that he's trying to remind us of? Look at this point on the screen. Our faith must be built on the word of the Lord and nothing else. Our faith must be built on the word of the Lord and nothing else. And it is a sermon uh, that we must remind ourselves with every day. Uh, you will notice when you go through the book of Psalms, is it that not what David does all the time? Hey, soul, hey, soul, pay attention. Why are you so downcast? It was, it's, a, it's a word you have to give yourself. It would be awesome if you could hire Pastor Craig to follow you six days a week after Sunday. And he could just be there on the ready. So you could be like, Pastor Craig, I'm having a bad day. And he's like, good, I have a good word for you. And here he goes and he goes right into a sermon. But he ain't coming. It's you and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has given you everything that you have, the truth that you have. You know that God is good. You know what the word says. So when you step into a service, you can't go, I hope I learned something new. Sometimes you're not gonna learn something new. Sometimes you have to reaffirm a truth you're not feeling. Because I'm not feeling the, the eternity. I'm living for the eternity and the truth because some days they're gonna be down. Circumstances are gonna weigh you down. Things are gonna block your vision. And you have to remind yourself, hey, self, I know what the truth is. I know what Jesus said. I need to move forward in this way. Now, the reason why Peter's writing this way is he knows that his time is coming to an end. He's an older man. He's about to leave this earth. And if you look, what he's saying is kind of reminiscent. We don't know if it's for sure, but if you look back in there where he says, um, Verse 14, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ uh, has made it clear to me. I don't know if you remember, but back in uh, John, when we we're going through that, John, uh, Jesus actually prophesied this to Peter. He says, very, very, uh, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. The exact death he's talking about is when someone stretches out your hands is the same way somebody stretched out Christ's hand is on the cross. Peter was crucified. Now, if you know anything about history, he required that the, the Roman government you know, flip him upside down because he didn't feel like he could honor the Lord by being crucified right up. That was his way of honoring God. But what he's saying is, I know for a fact that I'm on my way to that crucifixion. It's kind of like the Last Supper. Let me tell you what's important. See, Peter's not wasting any words. He's saying, you guys got to realize we're not living for this world. And if I can impart, like think about this, if you had 20 minutes to live, what's the first thing you would tell the person you love? The most important things. That's what he's kind of writing down here in this particular place. We don't know what church he's writing to. In fact, some people think that he wrote this letter so it could be passed out to every church that he was associated with because he wanted them to know, you know what's important? We ain't gonna be here for that long. 
Start living for the eternity that you're being prepared for today. You aren't holding on to anything. We say this about funerals. You don't see any U-Hauls behind the hearse. You're not taking anything other than what the Holy Spirit has given you. In fact, I want to give this 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-8. through 8. It says this on the screen. Paul would say it this way. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, amen, and an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Uh, I just want to stop there. Did anybody make a noise when they got out of bed today? <laughs> this verse is for you. That's what he's saying. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Who can't wait? Any creaks or crack? My knee cracked four times while I was standing and making coffee for Jackie. I was standing. I wasn't doing anything. It just cracked, 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 and I was like, Lord, bring that body now. Uh, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, which is this body, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to the clothes. Think about that. Do we have survival instincts? I don't want to die, but look at this. But to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by, isn't this an interesting word, by life. We can almost say it this way, by the true life that God offers us. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's a great verse because you see they both use that word of the tent. You know, you have a body, you are a soul. You have a body, you are a soul. What's gonna last forever is what the Lord fashions for you and gives you. And I'm gonna tell you this, I'm pretty sure with the first time that you try out your heavenly body, I don't know what you're gonna do with it. I had a teenager tell me the other day, I thought this was the greatest thing. I'm gonna go surfing with Jesus on the rings of Saturn. I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> but I know this body can't do that right now. And I was like, I'm going to add that to the things I asked Jesus. Do you mind if I ask Jesus to, if I can go too? But think about the moment that you're in that body, the moment you're, you put that, that new heavenly body that's immortal, you're not going to miss this body at all. That leaky old tent, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. Creaky and leaky, right? I don't need that anymore. I want you to see what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 puts it this way. And this is the truth that we have that we should be preaching to our own bodies. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption and the mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? What an amazing thing that you will say that, won't it? And it'll be permanent and it'll be final. Uh, the call that both Peter and Paul are making is, we live in a temporary world and we are on our way to an eternal world. I love how C.S. Lewis sums it up because he sums it up better than anybody, right? All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Have you ever picked up milk and be so excited for cereal till you open it? And then you look at the date, right? You go, what, what, what is this? It's cheese. And you think, oh, it's like seven weeks old. You know, like this has got to go. This has no use. This is not good. This has spoiled. 
essentially that's what we're doing when we hold on to this life. We're holding on to spilt milk or spoiled milk. We're, we're trying to make something that's going to pass away become something that it's never meant to be. We are passing through this life and that is our calling. And in fact, if you go back and look at what he says in, in this part of this passage, he says, on my departure, the word is closer to the exodus. I'm on my exodus, on my way out of Egypt into the promised land. Won't that be how you feel when you're walking up to the gates of heaven? I'm, I'm on an exodus. Don't call me back. No reason to call. I, I wonder if Lazarus was ever upset. I always think about Lazarus. Was he ever like, do what now? I've been in heaven for a couple of days. This is awesome. Everything's amazing. You want me to go back? I guess if I have to. Everything's out of date there. Everything's spoiled there. I want to stay here. And that's what he's saying. The calling of the Messiah uh, that is saying, coming to you right now, is that when you have accepted the calling, is you are now on the path to eternity. And so your eyes are not no longer looking at the world as like, this is great. No, this is pales in comparison to the value of the good things that I have in the Lord, which builds inside of us a kingdom kind of gratitude, doesn't it? You should have a great gratitude for what the Lord has for you because the things that you do for the Lord here are the only things that are going to last into heaven. Think about it. When you get to heaven, they present all of your good works and your bad works before the Lord, and it's consumed in a fire. The only thing that's going to remain, your good works of the Lord. The only things that you are taking with you from here to eternity is the good works that you built in the eternal kingdom of God now. And so that should build inside of you some kind of a gratitude. Go, thank you, Lord, for even putting me in the position to bringing great stuff to heaven. Isn't that amazing? And so that's why Paul is, or sorry, Paul, Peter is saying this in the fundamentals, we should never get rusty. I'm gonna remind you, I'm gonna remind you, I'm gonna remind you, stay true to the familiar truths every day and preach them to yourself. And there is no substitute for truth, is there? There is not even a new truth. There is only God's truth. And so we should do that. And as we look into the season, you know, we've said this particular year is, Jesus first, right? The reason why we say it's Jesus first is because it's really in the end, it's Jesus only. It's not that other things aren't important. It doesn't mean that God hasn't given you tasks on this earth. Has God given you resources that will eventually fade in heaven? Yeah, but do you use those resources to bless the kingdom of God? Yeah, so we should be good stewards, but they don't take precedence. Remind yourself every day what takes precedence? Jesus Christ in heaven. That's what takes precedence. And so we want to take this moment and kind of make a, realize, a realization as I was doing this. I, I wanted to say I was confronted with my own mortality. Um, and it's, you know, kind of a weird thing to think about passing out of this world and going to the next world. But you can take the fear of the unknown and pair it with what you do know. Is God in heaven? Does he rule and reign from a throne in heaven? So his word, it goes. And so therefore, I'm going to live by his word, not by my fear. I'm going to live by his faithfulness, not by my despair. I'm going to live in his hope and his blessed assurance because really he's the only thing that is solid ground. That's why we use this uh, phrase. You ever see uh, the B-I-B-L-E Bible? Basic instructions before leaving earth. That's where Peter's making the connection to what we were supposed to be doing as we're living in anticipation to the next life, right? So look at the next part of this life. He's saying, take the Bible for what it is. It's the truth that you already have. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories. The word is closer to myths or mythos or fables. What he's saying is, we didn't follow cleverly devised fables. 
We were living the Bible, right? When we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. Now look at how he's switching his language. The first time Jesus came, did he come in power? Or did he come as a little baby laid in a manger? That's pretty delicate. He was not the, you know, remember Peter hacked off a guy's ear? I don't need you to do that, Peter. I got angels that can do it. One angel killed 185,000 people a night. I don't need you to hack off an ear. Like, I'm good. I'm protected. If I need an army, I don't need an army of Peters. I have an army of angels. So he didn't come in power. What did he do? He came to show us how to live and to lay down his life. But look what he says. We were not the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and the glory from God in the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So what is, math, what is Peter referring to? He's referring to the book of Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll put it up on the screen, but I want to point out to you, what's the point of him bringing this up? Christ as majestic and Christ in power. This is not the Jesus they were walking with. Yes, Jesus made fish tacos for 5,000 people. Yes, he raised people to life. But did he destroy sin and death completely yet? Has he destroyed Satan? No, so this is a different kind of Jesus he's talking about. Look at this, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse one on the screen. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took him with Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and led them up high on a mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then he appeared before them, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So you understand what you're getting a glimpse of. So we're walking through this. We're getting the glimpse of the book of Revelation. This is not, for lack of a better term, homeless Jesus, you know, walking around in one outfit, sleeping in the field, eating <laughs> wheat off of the thing. You know, that's not this kind of Jesus. This is Jesus, the king of heaven, clothed in immense power. And who is he standing there with? Moses and Elijah. Look at verse four. Peter said to Jesus, because remember Peter, remember he's always up in his feelings. He sees Jesus in the power. What does he say? Lord, it is good for us to be here. No, duh. If you wish, I will put up three shelters or I'll make three condos for these guys, for your friends, Moses and Elijah. Peter loves this. He really wants this to be a sanctuary. I just want to put that in. That's my translation. He wants, this to, he wants to hold on to this moment. Let's do this all the time here. And Jesus is like, are you for real? Like, this is just a moment. We're going to a new Jerusalem and a new heaven. Get your eyes on the prize, Jesus. Look what he says. While he was still speaking, because nobody's paying attention to Peter, because he's saying nonsense. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, I love, this is the Lord interrupting. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now look at the next part. Listen to him. That's different. Verse six, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But when Jesus came and touched them, he said, get up. He said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, let me just bring you to the importance of the impact of this moment, other than the fact that it's incredible, right? But I want to just let you know, there's two things that are happening. First, we've already talked about it. We're seeing, getting a glimpse of Jesus and power that will come later in the book of Revelation. So for Jesus in the timeline of his life here on earth, this is new. But it's also a glimpse into the future, isn't it? Prophecy. 
We're seeing a glimpse into prophecy. This is a revelation for Christ to Christ, that he's going to be this person, but it's also Christ being the totality of the entire Bible. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Logos. That's Jesus. He is the Word. But let me show you how it's put on display for these Jewish men. There's two people there. Why Moses and Elijah? Why not Adam and Isaiah? Well, there's a specific reason. God doesn't just do anything in a vacuum. What he's actually doing, and he's pointing to, the, to these Jewish guys, first, Moses is the law. So Christ is the sum of the law. On top of that, Elijah is there. Remember how many times somebody did, somebody, somebody did a miracle in the New Testament? They go, it's Elijah. It's Elijah, come back. Why? Because to, to the Jewish people, Elijah was the prophet. He was the prophet. So Jesus is the totality of everything that the prophets have said. So think about this. The law, the Torah, and the prophets are coming to Jesus, who's now shown in all of his majestic power, to say, this is what we've been waiting for. The guy that you've been waiting for is not even completely the guy that you're looking at till after he's resurrected, ascends to heaven, and then comes back in the second coming and destroys Satan. You don't even know the story that you've entered into. How amazing it is. Remember Mary, I'm sorry, Martha, when, when, when Jesus was on his way to uh, raise Lazarus, and she says, I know people will be resurrected in the last days. Like, and he goes, no, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. What he's saying is, I am the central power of this universe. This moment proves it. And now all of a sudden, Peter's like, let's build condos. And Jesus is like, let's keep going. I don't know what you're talking about. So what we've seen here, and Peter's now laying it out in the scripture right now. He's saying, a couple of things have happened. First, I'm the totality of, this is Jesus, for Jesus. Jesus is the totality of the prophets. He's the totality of the law. Peter's saying, I saw with my own eyes. And I heard with my ears. Now the important thing about hearing with his ears is, God himself put his stamp of approval on Jesus. Because he said this once when he was baptized, right? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But what does he add at the end now? Listen to him. Listen to him. He is the definitive word. He is the definitive power. He is the majesty of heaven. Look at Matthew 5, 17. It says it this way. Jesus would even echo this. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's an amazing word for a person today even to hear because we can look at it this way. You know, there's a lot of people who go, oh, that was the Old Testament. That was the Ten Commandments. We're living under, mm-mm. Jesus didn't come to wipe it out. He came to fulfill it. Man, remember, he even, he even transcended it for us to the New Testament. He would say, if you look at a woman with lusts in your heart, you've committed adultery. Not the Ten Commandments. We're going that plus, right? If you have hate in your heart for your brother, what have you done? You've already committed murder. Why? Because we are connected in harmony by the Spirit. The law was always to point you to life in the Spirit. And Jesus said, it's good for me to ascend to heaven because I'm sending another. Why? So that we could be in harmony, communicating, expressing, doing life with the Spirit, but still completing everything that is in the Old Testament. Now, there are some new rules and new regulations. We can eat bacon, amen? Right, that's cool, right? We can wear some clothes with different, you know, different, you know, fabrics. That's cool. We can do different hairdos. That's cool. 
but we are still living in spirit and unity to everything that God has said. And the Lord is saying, I identify with Jesus. I love Jesus. He pleases me. By the way, he is my word. And that's the authority of scripture being placed on Jesus. Now, look how that's being laid out in verse 19. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do what? Well, to pay attention to it. Anytime an apostle or a prophet says that, pay attention. You will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. There is so much in that verse that we don't have fully time for, but I'm gonna let you know what Peter's saying. When I first saw Jesus at the transfiguration, I didn't fully get it. Remember, I wanted to set up shelters. I wanted us all to stay here and sing Kumbaya forever and not go anywhere and do anything. I just wanted that. Now he's saying, I want you to look at the last part. It is a light shining in the dark place, but one day there'll be a light, a morning star that rises on the horizon of, he- of earth and there will be no more sun. There will only be the son of God and all of our light will come directly from him. He's now acknowledging we're not going where I think we're going. We're going where God's telling us we're going. Because look what he says in the beginning. We also had the prophetic message. He's now living by the word of the Lord. He's not guessing. He's not making it up. He's not feeling. He's going, the prophecy has told us Jesus will come back for a second coming. And he will destroy all the evil in the world. And he will wipe every tear. And guess what? There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. And there won't even be a sun. There will just be the light of God. Can you imagine that? that all light emanates from our king and we live by this light. And that's what he's saying all in there. Now, I do want to remind you what he says here. We have the prophetic message, but use it as a light shining in a dark place. This is echoed from David. Remember Psalms 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Basically what David is saying, what Peter is saying is the Holy Spirit has been orchestrating everything from the beginning. And even if you feel like you're in a dark place or even if you feel like the world is crushing you and have you ever seen a runway for an airplane at night? Aren't you glad that they, play the, they pay the electric bill? Especially if you have your, one time we were flying, I forget where we were flying in maybe Mexico City, we had to come around the mountain. So we had to come around the mountain and I didn't, you know, I'm not the pilot, but I'm still looking, right? Because we're about to land and I'm looking, I'm like, oh my gosh, praise the Lord, they left the lights on. Coming in at night, right? And there's all the lights. Everything else was dark on either side of the mountains, but there was that runway lane, right? And that's all you got to do. That's what it's saying right here. The command is this. Don't look at the world. Don't look at your circumstances. Look at to what? To the light that the Lord has given you. Live by the characteristics that God has asked you to live in preparation to what? Eternity. You know where you're going. This isn't hard. I've streamlined it for you. It's not very complicated. The world can be challenging, yes? We could have great difficulties, yes? But is what the Lord asked us to do difficult? No, just follow him. Now, I know it can be hard and it can be challenging for us in our flesh, but in our spirit, we know what we need to do. Have you ever had that prayer with the Lord where you're wrestling and you're wrestling, but then you kind of finally fall? God wins, right? You wrestled for all night, but God wins and you go, okay, Lord. And then you're at peace. Because all consequences now fall on the Lord. All responsibility, all majestic power of your life is now in the hands of the Lord and you trust the Lord with your life. And that's what he's saying here. You already have that prophetic message. Now look at verse 20. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretations of things. 
That would be good for people to hear today, some people, right? Some different churches are preaching all kinds of things, but look what he says. Verse 21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but in prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, he uses a really cool word here for that word carry. That word carry is like if you've ever seen sailboats not go anywhere until the wind hits them, and then they're carried along. What he's saying is here is that all the men of the Bible, all the people that have written down all the, think about it, 40 different authors, 66 books, you know, 1,400 years, they're all carried forward in unison by one spirit. And that same spirit is what carries you forward. So if you're in unity with the Holy Spirit, then you're in unity with the Word. And if you're in unity with the Word, you're in unity with the Holy Spirit. You're being carried forward by His wind. Who's filling your sails today? Whose wind is filling your sails? You have to say this, and this is what we call the point of inspiration inside of, you know, text. What's the point of inspiration? The only inspiration that we have is the Holy Spirit. That's it. All the people of the Bible that wrote down the scripture that God had them write was carried along by one spirit. Amazing that as many times as people have tried to stamp out God's church, it's still being carried along. It's still being carried 2,000 years later. I understand, I don't know how, how accurate these numbers are, but I think it's in Pakistan. It was like one in 32 people were getting saved every month. And now the numbers are closer to one in four in some, in some areas of the country. And they're obviously predominantly Muslim country trying to stamp out Christianity. What's happening? The wind is just blowing them along. And the Lord, Holy Spirit's like, oh, I don't like one in 32. I like one in four. So guess what? The wind's going to do what he does. So that's what he's saying. The word of God shines a bright light. And it's not just in our personal experience. It's based on the truth of the word that we have in our hands right here. And then we couple that with our experience. And then we know that this experience is good or true or not based on its alignment with the word. So I can never go to you and go, hey guys, I had a great experience. I think God's given out Lamborghinis because I received a Lamborghini. Did you guys not get your Lamborghini? You must not be in the word. No, we align ourselves to the word. That way nobody can come in here, Pastor Craig, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Joey, nobody can come up with their, their feelings or their desires. We're not carried by ourselves, And if we are, guess what? That wind will carry us right off the stage. And that's what he's saying right here. We must grow spiritually, not just by our personal experiences, but what the Lord has for us. And so our next point is this. To grow spiritually, I must submit to the everlasting authority of God's word now and eternally. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever. We are in a, a portion of the Bible, and this is what the Bible is saying. We are in dire need of prophecy. And the reason why we need prophecy is not for us to go, oh, we're proved right, or like we're on the right side. Prophecy has a very unique thing that it does to the people that are of the word for the Lord. It ends up crucifying your will. Because the moment that prophecy comes true, everything snaps to what? God's in control. Think of all the times in the Old Testament, every time prophecy came true, people were like, God, but the Babylonians are coming. Or God, this is happening. Or God, we're up against the Red Sea. No, 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 I'm gonna carry you through. I said I would carry you through. But now we're, we're, in the, we're in the wilderness. We got one pair of shoes and one clothes. I will be, I will be your source. And was he their source? He kept their shoes 
man, I go running in shoes. Six months later, I got to go get whole new shoes, guys. They had same shoes for 40 years. And then you know what that does? It says to the people, crucify your will. It's my will, not your will. It's my power, not your power. That's what prophecy does. It teaches us to reflect on God's will because he's in control. The moment that Jesus satisfied 90 prophecies by being born and then a couple hundred more by going to the cross and dying, you know what every uh, person that was of the word had to say at that moment? Especially Nicodemus, right? It's not my will. It's his will. Because look at everything he's saying is coming true. So that must mean he's designing my life. And so that is what we are moving forth in our life. And so I just wanted to, re- to say this, to remember, to remind yourself of this at all times. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16 on the screen. All scripture is gr- God-breathed. All scripture. Not the portions I like. Not the portions I don't like. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, Correction and training in what? Righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know why we need to be made precious, righteous instruments of the Lord? To follow the very word of God? Because we are the instruments of glory in this world when we receive the goodness of God. Look at that word righteousness. I'm in right standing with this world. Think of a lost and dying and broken person, right, who's spiritually bankrupt and looking for the answer. And then they see you filled with the glory of the Lord, even though you don't deserve it. And they go, but that's what I want. I want to be close to the divine. I want to be close to Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit to operate in my life. I want the promises and blessings of God. I might not be able to articulate that, but that's what I want. And that is supposed to be you. And that's what he's saying right here. From Genesis to Revelation, we should become the people of the world because we are operating in the love letter that God has given us, the Bible. The complete work of the Lord is to say this from the Old Testament. What was the Old Testament prophecy? There's a Savior coming. And he is good. And when he shows up, be ready. Think of all the people that were ready for the Savior to show up and how glorious that was. Guess what the Testament or the prophecy in the New Testament is? There's a Savior coming. We've been saved the first time, but have we been delivered? We were saved the first time, but have we been delivered? No, we're being prepared to be delivered. Let me explain that for you right now. Ask you this question. Do you still struggle with sin? Is your body creaking in the morning? As Peter said, still dealing with sicknesses. Who here still struggles with the word of the Lord? To actually preach it to yourself and do it. I want to do it, but my flesh doesn't want to do it. I'm in a wrestling match. Have we been, is, is death still rampant in this world? Is sin still rampant in this world? But there will come a day that a great deliverer will show up and all of that will be gone. So we have been saved, but we're being prepared to be delivered. Are you preparing alongside of him? In the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm going to put this last verse up for us and then we'll pray. This is why Jesus said this this way. What are we building in this world? Matthew chapter seven. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Amen. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house 
and it fell with a great crash. Are you building your life on the rock of Scripture, on the rock of Jesus Christ? Or are you building your life in sinking sands? Is your marriage being built on the rock? Is your life being built on the rock? Is your family being built on the rock? Is your work decisions being built on the rock? You know, Christ is going to be coming back. And the people that are going to be saved are the people that are standing on the rock. Are you preparing for this new reality with Christ? Every day, you have an opportunity to build along Christ. And I want to say this to you. This scripture has said this. The power isn't in you. The power is you aligning yourself with the word and with the spirit so that he can do that work inside of you. It's his job. It's his power. It's his authority. Let's not quench that spirit by getting ahead of him or trying to predict what the word scripture says. Let's just be the people of the word and do what it says and live by it and live well. This is why Daniel, as we were teaching on the weekends, lives so well in the midst of chaos, in the midst of storms, in the midst of a heathen world, a godless world. Who's flourishing? Daniel. We're going to pray right now, and I'm going to put this last slide up on the screen. This is the culmination of chapter one. And I hope that if you need to move in any of these areas on the screen, that you pray alongside with me. Um, If you need to look up while we're praying, that's fine. I'm not going to call anybody out. But if this is an area of growth that you need to have the Holy Spirit move in your life so that you can build your life on the rock, that you can remind yourself to walk in the truths and promises that God has for you so that we could flourish in a lost and dying world, this is your prayer. So let's pray for this revelation. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that sometimes my mind is closed to you, my mind is not open to you, my mind is not ready for you, but today I make a declaration I want you to illuminate my mind. I want the very light of Jesus Christ to come to my mind and shine it into the dark places. And if there's anything that needs to change in me, I will make that change because it's your light, it's your power that does it in me. I rest in you. There's area of growth. I need to surrender it to you. There's area of struggle. There's secret sin. There's powers that are holding me down that I need to be released from. I give all power and I give all authority to you. And by doing that, I want you to open up my mind to show me where I need to do that, to live by your word, to trust your word, to be a person of the word. Produce in me transformation. Make me new. Make me changed. But also, Lord, help me prepare for a holy exodus. One day, I will not be in this world I will be standing in the very presence of you, God. Help me prepare for that day now. I love you now. I love you with the love of eternity now. Prepare me. I may be weak, but in your love and in your grace, I am strong. Move in my life. In Jesus' holy name, amen.